Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When do you know it's time? When is it time to... Boom, slap someone on the wrist. When is it time to say, hey, you're out of here for two weeks? And when is it time to send someone to Guantanamo for the rest of their natural-born days? Well, in college football, it can be very murky, and we're dealing with it right now. And I have not spoken publicly about the Northwestern Pat Fitzgerald hazing situation for good reason. I didn't feel ready to, nor do I still feel qualified to, because I really don't think I know everything. But we've kind of gotten 72 or 96 hours into this thing now. And so it's time to talk about it. This is the Late Kick Extra podcast. I'm Josh Pate. We do it all year round. And this particular episode is wall-to-wall mailbag at Late Kick Josh is how you can get in touch with me. I don't want to say anything more. We're having really, really good success with the show. So all you need to do to keep it free is subscribe. And that's it. And that's all. And let's dive in. And I'm not diving into a pool that I want to dive into here, but so many of you have asked about it. It has been the lead topic in college football over the past few days. So let's do it without further ado. Colin, of all people, not Director Colin, but Colin from Cookville, Tennessee, asked me, what are your thoughts on what's happening? What's going on at Northwestern? And if you just forego the horrid accusations, is this Northwestern's chance to make a hire like Nebraska or Wisconsin? Do they have a mass transfer exit like Tennessee a few years ago under Pruitt? So everybody knows what's happening now. You had allegations of hazing and it was some pretty gross stuff. And then the question was, did Pat Fitzgerald know? And apparently they did an internal investigation and their decision was we're going to suspend him for two weeks. And they thought that was the end of it. Then the student newspaper up there kind of breaks the story open. There were conjoining ESPN features done with Adam Rittenberg and the folks at ESPN. So it's led to Pat Fitzgerald's firing. And you can think about that, whatever you want to think about it. Everyone's had an opinion on it. Mine is pretty boring. And that's why we haven't done a topic on any of our shows so far. Mine is, I don't feel like I could possibly be equipped with enough information to just plant my flag on the keep him or fire him. All the accusations suck. They're, they're gross. Uh, I ha- I've dealt with hazing before. I haven't I even talked to the staff about this. So, so in my athletic days, we actually had a little bit of a situation, both my freshman year and my junior year. And so I've, I've seen it before. I've got strong opinions on it. My opinions may differ in what I consider hazing and what I don't consider hazing. The stuff that we read about Northwestern, if it's true, goes obviously well beyond the line. So there's that. Then there's the follow-up question. To me, the debate is not, is hazing okay? I don't really think anyone out there is arguing, hey, I'm pro-hazing. Let the boys be boys. I didn't hear anybody say that that should be taken seriously. The question centered around, how seriously should we take it when we deal with Pat Fitzgerald? And it turns out, 
the serious level is turned up to him being fired. And my problem in these situations is always people start forming their opinions before they know everything. And I've told you many times when we have the more serious stuff happen, when we have uh, sexual assault allegations, when we have hazing allegations, and when we have especially situations where an independent review has already been done and then more details emerge, it's impossible to know who knew what and when did they know it in the moment. So I wait. And sometimes we lose clicks because of it. But I wait. And we don't lead the show with it. We don't have a hot take. I intentionally don't want to be first on those sorts of things. Because the story changes so much. Have you noticed, by the way, how many times the story has changed and taken a turn just over the past 24 hours, much less 48 and 72 as we're recording here on Tuesday morning? Every time I've seen a new update, I've thought to myself, wow, I'm glad we didn't lead Sunday's show with this. Because, wow, what I thought on Sunday may not be what I think now. But where I find myself so frequently, and it was the same way with the AJC Georgia thing recently, if we were just in this vacuum and a story came out and I could, number one, take time to decide for myself what the facts are, make sure I know all of the facts, and then number two, start forming my own independent opinion, that's one thing. But in the modern age of the way that college football is covered, you don't have time to do that. You have an allegation come out, and this clown car full of 37 people who know even less than you do pulls into the room and everyone gets out just spewing takes left and right. This guy should be fired. That guy should be fired. And if you have a national platform like we do on this show, people look at you, even though they shouldn't, trust me, they look at you to be sort of this moral arbiter. You've got the gavel in your hand. Whichever way you pound, that's the way that I'm going to think about this. So I actually take that kind of seriously, and therefore a lot of times I don't say anything. Because what it would sound like if I spoke up immediately is it would sound like I was rushing to the defense of someone who very well may be guilty of a bunch of fireable offenses. It's not because I'm actually rushing to their defense in that situation. It's that I'm taking a stance against people who are rushing to judgment and simply saying, hey, might we want to let this play out a little bit? Or might we want to look at our outrage meter from one to 10 and start at four and then maybe work our way up as more details emerge instead of starting at 10? Might we want to do that, guys? But when you do that, here's how it comes off. You're carrying water. You're carrying water for the accused. You're, you're trying to run interference for the accused. I'm not doing any of that. I've never met Pat Fitzgerald. I, I know nothing about him. But in that particular case, or like with the Kirby Smart, AJC, Georgia thing, there's a chance everything that's alleged is true, and there's a chance it comes out that the person that's in the spotlight knew about it, in which case they're going to lose their job, as they should in that situation. But until we know definitively, and that's some pretty important stuff to be definitive on, I just sit it out. So, you know, when these, when these scandals break, a lot of times I'm not the first one that you should rush to to get the take of the day, because most of the time you're not going to hear it. But the back part of that question is interesting, too. The back part of that question was, is this Northwestern's chance, in less than ideal circumstances, but is this their chance to do what Nebraska did? Massively upgraded head coach. Or Wisconsin, massively upgraded head coach. My answer is uh, kind of the same. We'll, we'll see. Uh, my instinct is you're not massively upgrading from the quality of coach Pat Fitzgerald had been at Northwestern. You may, you may get a hot name in there, but it's about fit as well. 
Northwestern's a pretty unique fit. It's a pretty unique job. It's not one of those rinse and repeat, roll it off the conveyor belt, typical tier two or typical tier three jobs in power five college football. It's pretty unique. It has its own set of advantages. It has its own set of obstacles. So a lot of people looked at Brian Hartline over the last two days, offensive coordinator, recently promoted, by the way, at Ohio State. Everyone thinks he's going to get a major head coaching job eventually. Uh, Would Northwestern go after him? Would he take that job? Likewise, Jim Leonard, the defensive coordinator and been there for a long time at Wisconsin, would he take that job? Uh, I, look, that's, a, that's five to six million a year. That's being smack dab in the middle of the Big Ten as it enters its own renaissance season when you get that windfall of TV money. It's a good time to be a Big Ten head coach. Is that possible for them? And also, what kind of commitment financially is Northwestern willing to make? Or do they just choose to go the interim route for a year? These sorts of things, I don't know. I will tell you, I do think my general theory on the Big Ten right now is any coaching job that comes open, I lean towards the side that that program is going to be ultra aggressive, more so than in the past, because I think that there is pressure in the Big Ten because of that new media rights deal to make sure you're leveling up. If you have an opening, for whatever reason, your coach got fired due to scandal, your coach wasn't good enough and he got fired, you got to level up at caliber of coach. Uh, Because my theory is there's this unspoken understanding from Fox, from CBS, from NBC, from all the partners that they've entered into a contractual relationship with when it comes to media rights. You've got to make the second and third and fourth Big Ten games of the weekend better for us. If Penn State and Ohio State and Michigan are playing, everyone's going to watch. But why can't Northwestern versus Indiana be better than it has been? Like, why can't Purdue versus Iowa be better than it has been? And so that's where my mind goes. So yeah, that's, that's my focus on this actually is what kind of caliber is the coach that they replace Fitzgerald with? It's a weird situation there. And uh, we had another question actually, let's just roll to it, Bradley. So Jeff hit us from Charlotte and um, Colin, as you're, as you're watching in there, I may want to end up clipping this one for video, even though I said I wouldn't. So let's just pretend like we're going to put this one on video. Jeff from Charlotte hit me and said, how many coaches and staffs are shaking in their boots today after what happened to Pat Fitzgerald? I said Pat Fitzgerald. So I'm going to read the question over again in case we clip this. Jeff from Charlotte asked me, actually throw it back up, Bradley. And we're not going to cut this out of the podcast. It's just going to be there. Jeff from Charlotte asked, how many coaches and staffs are shaking in their boots today after what happened to Pat Fitzgerald? Fitzgerald's out at Northwestern, well-documented, And he's out because of allegations of hazing. And I think even people who are totally ignorant to college football know that the odds indicate with this many programs out there and that many kids in this many programs, Northwestern's probably not the only place where they've had incidents with hazing and trouble with hazing. And you would be right about that. I can tell you that over the past two days, any coaches I've spoken to, and especially administrative types that I've spoken to, they're not so much talking about whether Fitzgerald should keep his job or not. That is not the lead topic. That may be two or three. Topic number one is, are we okay? Are we safe at fill-in-the-blank university and fill-in-the-blank state university? Are, are, are we good? Do we have any of this in our past? Because it's not just the egregiousness you have to worry about. It, it's not just the over-the-top, very clear, fireable offense stuff you have to worry about. You also... And I'm just echoing what they've told me. You have to go and do this 
thorough forensic analysis of your memory of everything you've ever been privy to and had knowledge of in your program that maybe you didn't even take serious at the time, and it was four years ago or six years ago or six months ago, and all of a sudden you're thinking, hmm, I didn't think that was that big a deal. However, I have knowledge of it. And number two, if someone took it another way, could they verbalize that experience to a student newspaper or to a website or just their own personal account on their social media channels? Could they, could they document that experience in a way that makes us sound way worse than I think we are? Uh, the answer is yes, that can happen. And the answer is yes, those conversations are happening in every major athletic department and it's the worst time for it to happen. Because I don't know if you guys are aware, but it's July 11th as we're recording this. Pretty much every coaching staff's on vacation right now. Every one of them take the second week in July and sometimes the third week in July and they're gone. And then all of a sudden a scandal breaks and a head coach gets fired and it, the ripple effects could reach you and you're down in the Bahamas or you're over in Italy and all of a sudden you're on the Amalfi Coast in a different time zone half a world away talking to your SID who's also on vacation about whether we're covered on this front and whether that thing that happened two years ago, could that bubble back up? I thought we took care of that. I'm just giving you the real picture. Yes, those conversations are happening everywhere. And it's going to be a, a touch and go next month or so because I could easily see this not being the last of the hazing allegations that come out. Let me ask you. So if we fast forward to September and we have two months of hindsight on this now, what do you think is more likely? Do you think it's more likely that the Northwestern hazing story happened and then it just, it stayed isolated and whatever occurred, occurred and they fired their head coach and they hired a new one and it just goes away and it sinks in the distance? Or do you think that you look back in September and say, wow, remember two months ago when that Northwestern hazing story came out and then we, we didn't know it at the time, but that was just the beginning. And there was then this whole wave of hazing allegations. I don't have any knowledge, by the way, of any story that's about to break. I would think it's probably statistically more likely that we get more stories than the likelihood that we don't hear any more about hazing. So, And then that takes us down this whole other road of hazing. What is hazing? What isn't? What's playful and acceptable versus what is egregious and way over the line? What happened back in my day? How irrelevant is the back in my day portion of the conversation? All sorts of fun things that have nothing whatsoever to do with football. And now we move on to actual football. How about that? If you're new around here, it's not normally the way it goes. Normally the way it goes on the Late Kick Extra Pod is we just lead with a nice football-related question, and we may weave some non-football in here and there. If someone wants to talk about train hopping, if someone wants to talk about Daisy Jones and the Six and how amazing it is on Amazon Prime, yeah, I'll do it. But normally we're leading with questions like I'm about to give you now, right after I, some of you thought that was the ad toss, right after I take a sip, not from the chalice, but just from this random generic coffee cup. I'm such a sellout. All right. I've never been to Fostoria, Illinois or Ohio. I heard there's one in each state. But Fostoria, Ohio is where Adrian hails from. He said, if Ohio State and Michigan play for the national title this year, do you think it would be the most hyped up game in the history of college football? We were so close to finding out last year. Let's, let's all take a deep breath for a second. Let's just picture this. Fun mental exercise. 
No, I don't think it would be the most hyped up game in history. I'll tell you why. So it'd be very, it'd be very hyped, but it would be strange. If Ohio State and Michigan play in the regular season, it's one of the biggest games of the year because we see it every year. If Ohio State and Michigan play again in the national championship game, for Ohio State and Michigan, it would be the most hyped game ever because it would be a whole new version of the game, a whole new chapter of the rivalry with the biggest stakes in the sport imaginable on the line. There's two things to remember here. Number one, it would feel kind of strange to the rest of the country. We saw Georgia and Alabama rematch a couple of years ago, and that was from the SEC title game to the national title game, and oh, it was a huge deal in the South. Nationally, people looked at it and they watched it, and you know, it was a, a highly, it was a high level uh, that the game was played at, but I think a lot of the nation looked at it and said, is the postseason failing us if we're able to see rematches that we just saw? Now, I didn't personally feel that way. I don't care about the rematches. You give me the best teams and it shakes out however it shakes out. But that wasn't the question he asked. He didn't ask, how would you personally feel about it, Josh? He said, would it be the most hyped game ever? Inside the Big Ten, inside those two programs, hype would be off the charts. It would be an 11 on the 1 to 10 scale. In, in Bozeman, Montana, in Tucson, Arizona, they would look at it and they would say, I, I'll watch, but I mean, Ohio State, Michigan, I just saw it. If anything, I think some people would look at it as taking a little bit of the luster off of all the hype that rightfully is attached to the regular season game. Because that's supposed to be once a year, and it's supposed to be something you build and build and build to, and then it's four quarters, and then you live with the result, and they're not on the field again until the end of November next year. Then all of a sudden, in this, in this man-made structure of a postseason we have in college football, they play again. And that's the other thing I wanted to talk to you about. So I want to talk to Ohio State and Michigan fans now. Because we were kind of close to this last year. Ohio State came within a missed field goal of going to the national title game. Michigan had turnover issues. TCU deserved to win the game. I'm not doing that thing. I'm saying each of them were, were very close to punching their ticket to the national title game, but neither did. But what if they did? What would it have felt like? I'm telling you, I think it would have felt a little weird. Now, that's the nation's perspective. Zoom into Ohio State and Michigan. Let me ask you guys something. There, there, there are pockets of fans in any rivalry game, Ohio State and Michigan's no different, where they say, boy, this rivalry game outcome, it means more to me than anything. There are pockets of fans who say that. I'm not saying it's a wholesale, widely held opinion. But those people, when you were to press them on it, they would say, well, it's because that's always been there. Ohio State and Michigan has always been there. We've done this for like 950 years so the result of that is pure. It is what's great. It's what's right about our program versus their program. It's what's right and great about college football as I know it, and I've known it my whole life. They look at the playoff, and they look at that as, yeah, mattering, but they look at it as being kind of a man-made structure. It's, looking, it's like looking at a skyscraper, which is impressive, versus looking at a, a volcano. A volcano's always been there, so it's impressive in a totally different way than a skyscraper is. The playoffs like the skyscraper, and you get to the top of the skyscraper, and that's wonderful, but man, if you could be around a volcano when it erupts, it's, it's an act of nature, and it's totally different. It's a totally different thrill. Well, those people who say, I'd rather win the rivalry game and let whatever happens in the playoff happen, 
and the people who put more emphasis on the regular season rivalry outcome, that's just how they feel because they look at they look at the playoff and they think, well, the only reason I care about that is just because we all tell ourselves that's the end all be all. We're trying to mirror the NFL and other sports, and okay, so we're going to build a championship crowning mechanism at the very end. But that that's only come around lately. The Ohio State Michigan game's been around since leather helmets. So pardon me if I value that a little bit more, because my grandpa didn't talk to me about the college football playoff growing up. He talked to me about the game. He talked to me about Bowie. He talked to me about Woody. He talked to me about things that happened even before then. So I get it. And so if this were to happen, there would be kind of a weird feeling amongst some Ohio State Michigan fans, especially if the winner of the game lost the title game. It would be so weird. Now, it would feel good for the team that won, but it would also feel weird because everyone would have to look at each other across the table and know, you, you know what the outcome in the game was. I remember with Bama and Georgia a couple of years ago. Bama goes in as a six-and-a-half-point underdog, by the way, in the SEC title game and ran Georgia out of the building. And then Jamison Williams, who was a key player in that game, goes down in the national title game, and Georgia ends up pulling away in the fourth quarter and winning it, I think it was 33-18 to 18 or something like that. Georgia should celebrate. They won the title, but there was always this talking point in the conversations down south of, yeah, well, first off, if, if J-Mo would have been healthy, Bama would have won. And secondly, we saw what happened a month earlier. Yeah, Georgia won the rematch, but they didn't get it done in the SEC title game. I think that's what it would sound like, honestly, if Ohio State and Michigan played again for the national title game. But we would still honor and respect the outcomes because that's what we do here. Next up, this is Chris. Chris, friend of the program, and Chris has very, very strong opinions, which I appreciate. Now I'm going to do the thing like people do when they talk about presidential candidates. I don't always agree with everything Chris says, but I appreciate him. I respect him. I can't believe we say that. I can't believe it has to be stated that if I'm talking about a high-profile individual, you have to preface everything these days with, no, I don't agree with everything he says. Who do you agree with across the board? I would caution you not to agree with me across the board. And I'm me. I don't even agree with me across the board. So Chris hit me up anyway. Chris hits us up and he says, how do you stay positive about a sport that we all love but hate where it's headed? Well, Chris, good question. So Chris and I share a lot of the same viewpoints about where college football is headed in certain aspects. He may be a little bit, he may be a little bit more glass half empty than I tend to be sometimes. But, you know, like neither of us are massive fans of college football playoff expansion. The difference is, I don't look at the playoff expanding and say, well, I hate where the sport's headed. I look at it and say, mm, I don't prefer that route, but I think it'll be okay. But there are certain aspects of the sport we're going to have to give up to get that thing. We don't live in a perfect world. That's kind of where I land on that. With college conference realignment, I don't look at that and say, oh, burn it to the ground. It's over as we know it. USC is going to play in the Big Ten. We're done. But I do look at it and say, I don't prefer it that way. I look at new media rights deals. I look at the Big Ten and the SEC expanding and pulling away from the rest of the pack. And I say to myself, not that it's going to burn the sport to the ground, but man, I, I, really, wish, I really wish things were distributed a little more evenly. I wish the regionality aspect was maintained in college football. But it doesn't mean I hate where things are going. I don't know of much that I truly look at and just like absolutely hate right now, but there are things that I don't prefer. But Chris, the way I choose to look at it 
is I choose to, for every negative I point out, I choose to take one positive that I see from the sport, and there are tons of them still even today. And I always go back to just Saturday in the fall. It's such an old talking point for me, but that's what I always go back to. We're going to eventually get to Saturdays in the fall this year, like we always do. And we're going to get to week three or week six or week eight, and they're going to be big games. And in the middle of the third quarter, you're going to be just as wrapped up in it as you always have been, and I'll be just as wrapped up in it as I always have been. And no one will be thinking about these things that we claim to hate in that moment. And my point has been, and will continue to be, as long as you're giving me those moments, as long as those moments still exist, I don't have to love everything that's happening around the sport, but I'll still be able to tolerate it. Now, if you were to, I don't know how you would do this, but if you somehow ripped that away from me, well, then I would leave the sport. Uh, The reason I say that so defiantly is because I think I'm safe. I, I don't think you can take fall Saturdays from me. I don't think so. Knock on fake wood here. Really fake. Wow. Listen to that rattle, Bradley. Okay, we're good. So I don't hate it, Chris, I guess is my answer. I don't hate it. I think that it also behooves me in my line of work to be kind of eternally optimistic about things. Uh, I talked a couple of weeks ago, I think it was, about any time I talked to Shannon Terry, who runs on three now. Anytime I talk to him, he's like gung-ho, head over heels, really confident about the direction of the sport. And I don't share that enthusiasm that all the moves that are happening right now is leading us to this big future golden age of college football. Klatt, Joel Klatt talks the same way. I don't share their enthusiasm. However, I hope they're right about that because I don't disagree with them. I'm just kind of, I'm kind of holding back a little bit saying, I don't necessarily know if that's the case. And then you also have to define your value system. So you have to define what you love. You may not love what I love. So, you know, if you don't just love fall Saturdays, if you look at them as a precursor to getting to the postseason and you don't really care about the roster integrity of a team, therefore you don't mind that half the sport tends to move around in the transfer portal. That's an exaggerated number, but you get what I'm saying well, then you don't even view those things as bad, period. You view them as really, really good. You don't care whatsoever. In fact, you may think it's a positive. The bigger the playoff gets and it removing value from regular season games not mattering to you is irrelevant. So you may totally be singing a different tune than I am. But even if you do agree with me, I don't think that we look at it and say, oh man, we hate where it's going. And also, Chris, remember this. If this is any kind of solace for you, if things were to go from bad to worse to worse to worse to worse, we do have the kind of trapdoor in 2026 that they have not renewed or they have not defined the new playoff deal. They have not gotten to that point where they've mapped out what the playoff will look like from 2026 and beyond. So who knows? There's going to have to be a lot of agreement in the room from a lot of parties that aren't prone to agreeing with each other before that happens. Now, do I think they're going to maintain it? Oh, of course. Absolutely, I think they are. What's the structure going to look like? Um, Million different things. I'm not going down that road today. Million different things we need to keep our eyes on there. You need to keep your eye on what the next question is. Certainly not a random ad toss. I wouldn't worry about that if I were you. Uh, This is a good question. Let me take a sip of coffee. I'll tell you partially the reason I have to load up on the coffee between questions is because I try and time my days out. I don't know how how many of you work out in the middle of the day and may take some pre-workout supplement. But... 
you're not supposed to be taking that stuff like an hour after you drink coffee. And I do plan on going to the gym right after I record here. So, I mean, do we want to be slamming 280 milligrams of caffeine right after we slammed a cup of coffee with only a bowl of sugar-free oatmeal separating us? I don't think that that's ideal. So I'm trying to get it all chugged right here and then burn about an hour and a half or two hours. All right. From Pittsburgh, PA, Mark asks, why does James Franklin continuously get dragged by internet trolls? Mark, I think you just answered your question. Why does he get dragged by internet trolls who say he is holding Penn State back despite the upward trajectory of the program? Jim Harbaugh fell under the same scrutiny two years ago. Mark, you just answered your question. Two times you answered your question. Internet trolls is the answer for why anyone is getting dragged at any given point. And number two, you said it better than I even was going to. You said Jim Harbaugh was dealing with the same thing a couple of years ago, so now he's not dealing with it anymore. No one's saying Jim Harbaugh can't beat Ohio State, because he has. No one is saying Harbaugh can't win the Big Ten, because he has. No one's saying he can't make the playoff, because he has. I guess there is a small little island of trolls that say, oh, Harbaugh sucks because he can't win a playoff game. And enjoy your island if you are amongst those trolls. But notice where the rest of them went, Mark. Do you see where the rest of them went? No, you don't see where they went because they disappeared. This is how a troll operates. Trolls are like trying to nail jello to the wall. They just move on to the next cause du jour. They move on to the next nonsensical talking point. They, they never have to answer for anything because their profile picture is some character from an animated movie. It's never their face. They never give you their real name. Again, this is the life of a troll. And in between eating the second and third plate of Hot Pockets that their mom walks down the stairs and gives them in the afternoon, this is what they do. And so with Harbaugh, they did it for a long time. None of them ever walked back to the table and said, I was wrong about Jim Harbaugh because accuracy is really not at the forefront of their overall game plan, nor is it with James Franklin. So my, my take on James Franklin has been for a few years now, the same as my take was with Kirby Smart for a while. No, he hasn't won the national title. No, he hasn't done this or done that. In Kirby's case, it was, no, he hasn't beaten Nick Saban. No, they haven't beaten Alabama. That doesn't mean they can't. And people would come back at me and said, well, that's stupid. If they could beat him, they would have. That's not true. That, that's not true at all. If I have a 332 batting average, it means I'm capable of getting a base hit. If I happen to go 0 for 12 at some point in the season, are you going to come at me and say, oh, you're, you're, how about this? Here's a better example. If I'm a 332 lifetime hitter, but I start a season 0 for 12, Therefore, I haven't shown you any evidence technically that I'm going to get a hit that year. It would be stupid for you to say, you can't get a hit. If you were serious and not just being insulting, you can't get a hit. Well, yeah, I can. I just haven't. I mean, I've got a 332 lifetime average. Certainly, I can get a hit. Uh-uh. Well, with Kirby Smart, there, there were all kind of indicators around him to lead you to believe he was always capable of building to where they are now. But until he had, it was like he never could. Well, James Franklin... Hadn't, hadn't made a playoff game yet. And so that means he can't, right? No, it just means he hasn't. Harbaugh, same way for a long time. He can't do this. He can't do that. It was never can't with him. It was always hasn't. If you've got even a 5% chance of doing something, that doesn't mean you can't. It just means you haven't. It may be unlikely, but it just means you haven't. And with Franklin, I think he's got a lot better than 5% odds of doing 
some good things up there. Now, here's the other part. This year, they probably have as high an expectation level as they've had since the year after 2016 or going into 2016 even. They may not win it this year, even with those expectations, even with an over-under win total of 9.5. Remember, Michigan is still expected to finish better. Ohio State is still expected to finish better. If, if the odds were to just hold, you know, we had a question earlier in the pod that was, what if Ohio State and Michigan play for the national title? Well, that would mean they're the two best teams in the country, right? So in theory, and this is unlikely to happen, but in theory, if Ohio State and Michigan were the number one and number two teams in the country this year, it's technically possible for Penn State to be the third best team in the country which means it would be the best season Franklin's had up there, and yet they don't make the playoff and they finish 10-2. and two. Because technically, if you're the third best team in the country and you play number one and number two, you should lose to them. That's just what the book says. And if you lose to the two teams in your division, you don't even play for the Big Ten title. And that's one of the many reasons why you aren't always what your record says you are in college football. Because it would be kind of short-sighted to look at Penn State in that scenario slash scenario, and say, oh, they're just another 10-2 and team. No, they're not. Louisville and Penn State could go 10-2 and this year and be totally different teams. Because Louisville avoids Clemson. They avoid Florida State. They avoid North Carolina. They play pretty much every one of the bottom teams in terms of odds in the ACC this year. They could go 10-2 and this year. Penn State could play the top two teams in the country and go 10-2 and this year. Are those the same 10-2? and I know there are going to be some holdouts out there that say, yeah, a win's a win, a loss is a loss. It's just not. I don't know what else to tell you. If you're trying to define caliber of team, it's just not the same. That's not the way you should live your life. Next up. Bama Hype from Birmingham, Alabama. It's not about Bama, though. Bama Hype asked, with the new changes coming all around college football in the 2024 season, what are you looking forward to the most and what are you looking forward to the least? Well... I'll tell you one thing I'm looking forward to the most is experiencing what home playoff games are like. I'll admit to you, I'm not a big expansionist, but since you're giving it to me, there are some aspects that I'm looking forward to. And one of them is if, if you just watch Wisconsin go to LSU for a round one game, or you watch LSU go to Wisconsin for a round one game. If you watch Clemson go to Oregon for a round one game, you, you talk that stuff out loud And it is really, really tantalizing. And I don't think I've ever used the word on the show in in any form. But I'm tantalized by it. Don't like what it's going to take for us to get there. But I I can admit to you, I would look forward to those particular games and those particular weeks leading up. So that's one thing to look forward to. Uh, the, The other thing I look forward to, just from my own viewpoint, is how differently are we talking about teams? Not we. Um, How different are some people talking about teams that finish as the ninth best in the country, when all of a sudden being number nine means you're a playoff team. Because the reality is they're the same caliber of team they would have been in 2003 or 13, but all of a sudden in 2024, if you're the ninth best team in the country, you get that little playoff designation uh, next to your name. Uh, Your Wikipedia page says you made the playoff that year. And all of a sudden it'll be this magical talking point. It's like this different bullet in the chamber. You're not any more armed than you always were, but it's going to feel that way. It's like if, if I continually just miss the corner and they widen home plate and I throw the same pitches and all of a sudden, Steve Ride, 
I'm not any different a pitcher. They widened the plate for me. So they acquiesced to my shortcomings, not the other way around. A lot of baseball metaphors in the pod today. Um, the thing I don't look forward to, though, has nothing to do with 2024. It does, but it doesn't. 2024 has me already dreading one thing about 2023. And that is that every single week of this season, media outlets, probably including my own, are going to put out hypothetical, here's the top 12 currently, here's how the 2024 expanded playoff would project if we had it in 2023. And you're also going to have people, this is really going to drive me up a wall, in November, you're going to have some games that casuals are going to tell you are meaningless that would all of a sudden have meaning if we had the expanded playoff. And it's going to be a morally bankrupt and intellectually bankrupt argument because their starting point will be chapter two of the book. Their starting point will be, this game's meaningless. Here's how it would have meaning. But chapter one, which they conveniently leave out is, hey, fool, you don't have to have playoff implications on the game for it to have meaning. I know you all tuned into the sport within the last five minutes, but believe it or not, once upon a Saturday, we could just play these games with five and three teams and people watched because those five and three teams had history with each other. You didn't have to have this little playoff sticker. You didn't have to have someone at ESPN sitting in front of a board of hypotheticals saying, if 2024 were here, this is the value this game would have. It didn't, didn't always have to be that way. And then it all of a sudden was that way. I'm not looking forward to that part at all. And I know that's coming. I know we can't just value college football games for what they are on the surface anymore. We got to have storylines with the playoffs attached. And it's going to be all about, you know, Wake Forest is playing NC State this week. If it were 2024, here's what this would mean. How about just enjoying 2023? How about just enjoying it for what it is? Because I'll tell you what it is. It's a full wall-to-wall college football season. That's what it is. Just like 2021 was, just like 2018 was, it's a full season of college football. Don't be so foolish as to hit the fast forward button on it, especially because half of you are rushing to an era you're going to grow to regret anyway. So let's, let's just enjoy it. How about that? Just, en- ah, just enjoy it. Ad break. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And we're back. How did you like that? Immunity. Next up, Nico. Nico hit us up and said, what was it like when Miami was on top? Nico, it was an entirely different world. When Miami ruled college football, I'm telling you right now, it was a different vibe than when any other program has dominated college football. 
Georgia's dominating right now. Bama has dominated. When Miami dominated, it was with an entire different energy. Folks hated them, not just because they were winning, but because of the attitude they won with. It was so uniquely Miami. Like if you were to cut Miami open, what bled out of Miami would have been those Miami Hurricane teams. And the rest of the country hated it because they hadn't seen it before. There was a way that you were supposed to carry yourself if you were a winning college football team. And those dudes at Miami looked at it and said, cool, we're going to do it our way. We're going to do it the U way. And they threw that U up in your face. And if you didn't like it, it just made them smile even bigger. That was what it was like when Miami ruled college football. And also, people legitimately feared them because they didn't mind embarrassing you. Miami did not let their foot off the gas and run the clock out. They wanted to make you regret ever taking the field. Having the audacity to take the field against Miami in that era was enough to get those dudes to run through a brick wall and try and take your head off. They really wanted you to tell your kids 20 years down the road, kids, don't turn on that game tape where daddy played Miami. I don't want you to see what they did to me. That was, in a nutshell, what it was like when Miami ruled the world. Now, if you're younger... If you're a high school or college age, I'm not going to call you a kid, a person, adult, you don't know about that. You've heard about it. You may have watched documentaries, but you don't. The last title they won was 2001, so you don't really know about that. Well, Little JP does. Uh, Little JP was born to hate Miami because Little JP was born in the South, and you may think Miami's in the South. Miami's not in the South. Miami's in Miami. Totally different world. And so in the South... There was a certain level of decor. There was a certain level of, what's the, what's the right word? Like there was a certain way that you were supposed to carry yourself. There was a certain way a winning college football team was supposed to look. And Miami did not fit that. And so the Southern fan bases, they looked with disdain at Miami. And the Midwestern fan bases, even more so, looked at disdain. It was so bad when they had games against Notre Dame, they had nicknames for the game. It was Catholics versus convicts. They sold t-shirts, and the person that came up with that idea made a mint off of that t-shirt idea. Uh, that's just like a different era in college football. I don't know why. This is its own side subject. It, I don't feel like we do that anymore. I, I don't feel like there are things that happen in the sport now that just take on these lives of their own that will live 30 years down the road. I feel like there's so much that comes at you now that your mind doesn't have time to process it all. It, it may just be that the world moves faster because you have access to more information and you're exposed to more things that no one thing gets, gets heavily baked down into your psyche like it used to. Like I'm convinced, and this gets a little morbid, I'm convinced... Um, the JFK assassination, people still talk about it now. I mean, there's still literature on it. There's still specials done on it. If something of that nature were to happen in 2023, 24, 25, it would be massive. But if you fast forwarded 50 years, would we talk about that in 2063 like we talk about the JFK assassination now? I don't know that we would because I just think when things used to happen, it was the thing that happened. Nowadays, now we draw it back to much less consequential things like college football. Nowadays, when things happen, it happens and then it seems like three and a half minutes later, something else happens. And you bring up down the road that thing and people go, oh, I forgot about that. So if Miami were to ascend back to what they once were, I don't know if it would get treated the same way. I don't know. It would definitely take on that tenor. But my point to you was going to be if you're younger, 
and you look at older sports writers when they talk about Miami and they talk about them in a certain way, it's because they experienced it. Like they would go down there in that Orange Bowl, which I miss greatly because I never got to go to a game there. And uh, they, would, they would be a, a witness to those games and they would cover those teams. And it had to be unlike covering any other program in the history of their existence. When Miami ruled college football, it was a different time. Different time. Some people would lead you to believe it can't happen again. I am not one of those people. I believe it could happen again. Grayson from Loving, Texas. Why are recruits' rankings changing so much in the past week? Grayson, I'll tell you that, and then we're going to have another question in just a second. So, Grayson, this is a question that we get from time to time. I don't run recruiting rankings. I have nothing to do with them at 24-7, but I know everyone who does. So think about this. This is what I call bumper sticker logic. I'm not, I'm not accusing you of it because all you did was ask a question, but the bumper sticker logic would sound like this. How can a recruit's ranking change from April if no football games have happened? Bumper sticker logic means on the surface, that makes sense. You go, yeah, that makes good sense. But then when I explain the process to you and we drill it down a little bit further in detail, it's not that simple. So here's what happens. For example, in spring, a lot of kids go to camps. In spring, a lot of our guys get out on the road and they get to put eyeballs on those players that otherwise they've only seen on film. Also in the camp setting, unlike their high school film, they're normally going against an equal caliber athlete and it's a controlled environment. So like if you want to look at an edge rusher, you can put them in specific drills one-on-one with a high four-star offensive tackle and you can see how they fare. Instead of watching them in grainy footage from their Friday night film where they're playing a left tackle that's 230 pounds and he's only playing there because he didn't have good hands and he fumbled as a running back. That's high school football. And so let me ask you now, if you were tasked with grading these kids, you had a kid's high school film, you had him graded as a high three-star caliber player. Then you look at him in the camp circuit and he's dominating in the camp circuit. And your eyeballs tell you definitively and you're getting feedback from other coaches and you're looking at his offer list grow, whatever you value. And definitively, you're of the opinion, this, this guy's not a high three-star. He's a high four-star bordering on five-star. Would you wait until October just so another football game could happen? Of course not. And then you add on to that the fact that we're in a competitive industry. There isn't, there isn't like a government-run recruiting site and there's no competition. There are many different sites out there. So you get left behind if you have that ideology. Now that's, that's my take on that. And it's also in December and January, the same thing I say, when we get all the way to the end of a kid's senior year and then they go to the Army All-American game or the Under Armour All-American game or the, the, the Shrine, East-West Shrine game or whatever. Uh, the Mississippi and Alabama All-Star game is a really big one for most kids that are from that area. They'll go and they'll be a, a low four-star. And then they'll go and they'll participate in those events and our guys will get their eyes on them and all of a sudden their grade will get bumped up right before signing day and people will cry foul. In fact, Bradley, go ahead and throw the next question up because it has to do a lot with this. You know, we'll get to the latter portion of a kid's senior year and all of a sudden his grade gets bumped up and people will say, oh, oh, look, his grade got bumped up because of this or because of that. It's really just because you got a final set of eyes on a kid who had another year to develop physically because believe it or not, not every adult male is physically developed at 16 years old. 
Crazy things happen in your senior year sometimes for your height and your weight and your speed, etc. So you get eyeballs on them again in a controlled setting in December or January. It's not crazy at all to think that you may bump a guy up or bump a guy down. Chris asked, what is your honest and yet humble opinion about recruiting rankings and how when an individual signs with a top program, depending on the team, they can go from a low four-star to a top elite five-star? It's all anecdotal, is my opinion on that. There are conspiracy theories for every program in the top tier of college football. Bama, uh, Florida, Georgia, everybody thinks in the opposing fan bases that when a kid commits to a certain school, they're disproportionately more likely to get a bump from the recruiting services because they committed to that school. Correlation and causation are two different things here. You could, I don't know, I've never tracked this. You could go back and track it and you could take Alabama, for example, and you could show me evidence over the past 10 years that when a kid committed to Alabama, his grade was likely to rise 300% more than it was likely to fall. And you could present me that evidence, and then you could say, that's evidence that the recruiting industry favors kids who commit to Alabama. Well, what if I were to come back to you and say, I actually have a counterpoint. Maybe that's evidence that Nick Saban was ahead of the recruiting industry on his evaluations. Like, what if that's the case? And since you're arguing over the past 10 years, ultimately the, the goal is to get the grade right on the kid, right? So if we're arguing that, all we have to do is go back and look at how they did in college. And there's that stat out there that's just insane. Every NFL draft, every signing day, there's that stat that a five-star was X percentage more likely to be drafted if he went to Alabama. A four-star was X percentage more likely to be drafted if he went to Alabama, which means ultimately the grades on the kids were right. So what are we really arguing here? It would be one thing, in other words, if kids kept getting arbitrarily bumped up when they commit to Bama and then they went there and they crashed and burned. That would be a scandal. You, you would have a legit gripe on your hands. They don't. They go there and they shine. So my argument is kids committing to Bama and then getting a bump on their grade is not evidence that the recruiting industry favors Alabama nearly as much as the recruiting industry realizes after Nick Saban does how good some kids are. That's the way I've always looked at that. And it's going to happen with other programs. But there's also the accusation, I, we, I hear it from Florida constantly, there's the accusation that kids get bumped down after they commit to a team. I don't know what else to tell you other than it doesn't happen. I, I don't know what else to tell you other than there is zero motivation to do that. It would be the dumbest thing in the world. The dumbest business plan on the face of the earth is to run a recruiting site, take one of the biggest markets in college football, one of the biggest fan bases, especially if you're covering recruiting, and say, yeah, I think we'll screw them. Who, who would do that? Nobody does that. And I can also assure you, your greatest fears are not realized because I have been where you are. I've been a fan. I've been a subscriber of these websites. And now I'm on the other side and I'm behind the curtain. No one cares. When I say no one cares, I mean no one targets any program. That's never part of the conversation. There is no conversation where Andrew Ivins goes, we got to stick it to Florida. Okay, how are we going to do it? And there's no conversation where Wolfong goes, amen, brother. Let, let's bump down that linebacker, that corner, and that safety. And then Patagna walks in and says, why? And they in unison say, 
because it's Florida. It doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. I know that you can pull up examples. I know you guys, not, not all you guys, and it's not just Florida. I'm just using them as an example. Uh, Miami, it's like the state of Florida. Uh, but Miami also is, is a fan base that I'll have folks in my DMs. They'll put together a list of like five or six kids who committed and then their grades dropped and they'll say, how do you explain this? This goes beyond coincidence. No, it doesn't. It doesn't go beyond coincidence. You just took the right kind of snapshot. I could counter with a snapshot of kids whose grades went up after they committed. So my final question is, if that's really the conspiracy, if they're really just knocking kids a star rating just because of the school they committed to, why wouldn't they just do it across the board? Were they just trying to hide themselves when they occasionally give the token bump up? How do they decide which kid gets bumped down and which kid gets bumped up? People overthink the room on this. The reason I speak so fervently is because I used to think this. I'm being real with you. Back once upon a time, I used to think all that stuff was true. I thought that they're behind the curtain in the recruiting industry was this cabal of people and they had their favorites and they had the teams they didn't like and they just conspired to you know, engineer the rankings the way they wanted them to. It, I hate to be the bearer of bad news because I actually wanted it to be the case. It's not the case. You'll either believe me or you won't. It's not the case. We move on. I'm not on the council, guys. I'm not on the, it doesn't matter. I will throw these guys under the bus in a heartbeat if I need to. And maybe I will one day. It just won't be because of that. Big 12 aficionado said, what is your favorite stadium food? Which stadium has the best food? I love funnel cake, personally. It's not good for you, but I love funnel cake. Um, which stadium has the best food? This is going to take a little while. Because I got a lot to say. I, as you know, have the best job on the planet. I get to pick any game I go to, and I get to stand on the field and watch it, and I get to get there before you're there and stay there after you're there, and I get fed very well. I have been to most of the premier venues in college football. Not all of them. Have not been to an Oklahoma game, for example, but I'm steadily making my way around the country. LSU, amazing. Now, there's a difference, I should tell you, there's a difference in what you get fed in the press box versus what you get fed in the field media suite. The field media suite's normally just for like field photographers and stuff. And then the broadcast that's there, if it's a CBS game, if it's an ESPN game, you have your own separate little compound you can go in. So like when I'm in a CBS game, I'll sometimes just make sure I stay right behind Jenny Dell and I'll follow her into the CBS compound and we'll be good. And you get, you get your own like, personalized assortment in that room. But if I'm at an ESPN game, I can't just follow Tom Luganbill into the ESPN compound. So you got the field media suite. And that's normally like ham and cheese sandwich and chips. So your boy here normally dips off the field with like three or four minutes to go until halftime. And I scoop my way up to either the press box or, and I hate to admit this, a suite because I'll inevitably know someone there that's got a suite. And at that point, you're, you're eating an entirely different palate. But the press boxes alone feed you very well. LSU, all kinds of different Cajun-related dishes. They change it by the week. It is wonderful. It is spectacular. There is enough there where even though they technically don't tell you take a to-go box, LSU has always let me take food home. And it does not matter how much money I make in my life. I will always 
take extras in a to-go box home from a college football stadium's press box if you let me. LSU's great. Bama's great, although I have not been in the press box in a little while because I just tend to stay down on the field at Bama. But I'll let you know one time, I think it was 2019 actually when LSU came in there. I go to Bama. The height of Bama cuisine was for one of those big games they had, I go in the press box before the game and they have, I kid you not, an ice sculpture of an elephant in the middle of the dining line and it's separating two totally different courses of meal. So not only are they feeding you pretty well, best meal I had that week, they're like multiple selections. Hey, if you want this option, no, okay, take this option. And in the middle, a frozen elephant. Thing didn't melt the whole day. I don't know how they pulled it off. Baylor, surprisingly, was really good. But when I went to Baylor, remember, this was a couple of years ago. That's when they played Oklahoma. I'm getting so hungry right now. This is like watching that Ronco infomercial after midnight, that grill commercial. I went to Baylor and it was an 11 a.m. local kickoff, which means I got there at like 8 a.m., which means they served breakfast and they had an all-you-can-eat hash brown station. Again, I know that this is poverty food to some of you. Some of the, some of the more managerial upper-crusted amongst us are not impressed by this. You think hash browns, you think, ooh, grease on your hands. Well, some of us grew up with grease on our hands. Sorry. And so when you give me a hash brown station, it's all I need in life, really. And they also, they had a waffle station. They had, I think, sausage, egg, and cheese biscuits. I can't remember everything they had that day. But it was, it was great. It was like if, if you pulled up and there's no crowd around, and all your favorite breakfast foods were in front of you. Oh, and by the way, someone says, yeah, just eat as much as you want. It was a great day. In terms of caloric intake, it took me about a week to burn that off, but that was a great day. I would be remiss if I didn't tell you about AT&T Stadium. I am opposed to neutral site games, but I'm not opposed to the way they feed you at the neutral site games. So at Jerry World, out there in Texas, I go to A&M Arkansas a couple of years ago, I think. And the thing about Tex or the thing about um, the thing about Jerry Jones is he does not do anything halfway. So anything in his venue is going to be big. It's going to be done the right way. So if you go to a game at AT&T Stadium and you go to the press box, not only do they have a lot of really good food, and not only does every cup that you get your fountain drinks with have the Dallas Cowboys star on it. It's like a cup you can take home. It's a sous vide cup instead of the old styrofoam throwaways. They have a carving station up there. So there is a chef. It's like a golden corral on steroids. It's wonderful. They have a chef up there, and he's carving whatever kind of meat you want. This is press box food, mind you. They got a carving station. It always stood out to me. I don't walk in any other press box where there's a dude in a chef hat and about a foot-long knife in his hand saying, Sir, sir, which kind of meat option would you like today? Normally, that's an immunity, but it's not at AT&T Stadium. And my favorite dining experience that I've ever had when going to a college football game, we're going right back to the state of Texas. Ironically, it's also a neutral site. It's also in Dallas. It's the Cotton Bowl. But this one you cannot get unless you're in my role. And no one else in my role even did this. I've told the story before, but it bears repeating. So I go to OU Texas. That alone was an experience of a lifetime. Highest scoring game in the history of that rivalry. But also, it's the Cotton Bowl. It's on the premises of the Texas State Fair. 
the fair is literally going on around the game. And it's a, it's not a multi-layered stadium. It's just one bowl, thus the cotton bowl. So the smells, depending on wind direction from the fair, can waft their way into the stadium. And you know what a fair smells like. It's corn dogs and funnel cake. Just some of the greatest achievements culinarily in the history of our country. And so you smell that stuff the entire first half. Then halftime gets there. Now, if you're in your seat, can't really do much. You go to the bathroom, you know, you try and go get yourself a drink. Well, I have smelled that for two quarters and I'm looking at the tunnel. I can see the fair because I'm, I'm standing on the field. I can see the state fair. So I said, what stops me from just going to the fair at halftime? And the answer was nothing. So I went out there at halftime and I got myself all the funnel cake I could have. I probably had powdered sugar on my face even when I got to the airport later that afternoon. But I went out there and had myself a little time, about 20 minutes. And then I come back in the stadium right as Texas and OU are coming out of their locker rooms. So I walk on the field with the teams and I'm just like patting my stomach. I'm so full. And they kick off the third quarter and it was seamless. It was like there was not more than 30 seconds of downtime for me the entire halftime. I don't know how it gets any better. I really challenge you to tell me, how does it get any better than that? And they paid me money to make that trip. That, mm, it gets no better. Little JP would be so proud of bigger JP that he got to that point in life. All right, let's roll on. El or Elijah, not Eli. If you, if you type Elijah, I'm calling you Elijah. Very, very important and pressing question here. Elijah said, what are you going to give up if you have to give up one? Storm chasing or wrestling? Well, this is not a difficult question for me, Elijah. I'd give up wrestling in a heartbeat because I think all the good wrestling I've already gotten. Now, Producer Jesse, uh, there's some other people in the building, they would disagree with me on this. And I'm not saying that there's not a good product occasionally these days, but I don't watch the current wrestling product. I am in love with storm chasing. And unlike my opinion on wrestling, all the best tornadoes, all the most thrilling photogenic tornadoes have not happened. I saw three of them this spring in person, as a matter of fact. I wouldn't have been able to tell you that in 2022 because they were yet to happen. But if I want to go, go watch Triple H, Shawn Michaels, SummerSlam 2002, one of my favorite matches, by the way, unbelievable storytelling. I have that for the rest of eternity. If I want to watch Rock versus Triple H ladder match, 98 SummerSlam, I can go watch it anytime I want to. Taker, Shawn Michaels, WrestleMania, 25, 26, whatever. I can go do that. Um, so, so I will just happily live off of what's already happened in wrestling. I can't do that with Storm Chasing. And so you got to take something from me. Take wrestling from me. Now, someone did ask us recently, if you had to only choose to do one the rest of your life, would it be college football or storm chasing? And that was difficult. That was like, I have two children here and I am screaming, no, no, don't take my child. As social services exits the premises with little Johnny, as little Susie stands by my side. That was a tough one for me. This one's not as tough. What an exciting way to conclude the pod. Here's, here's all I need from you guys. Before you leave, a couple of things, actually. Now that we're really deep in the pod, uh, the Pate State Store is going to reopen in August, and I love where we are with it, and we got some really good ideas. The tour for this fall is going to be announced in early August. I love where we are with it. I know where we're going in week one. You will know that in August. And in the meantime... What I need you guys to do is one thing and one thing only. Subscribe to this podcast 
and then tell everybody in the free world that loves college football, especially the ones, and you know this guy and girl, the ones who complain that there's not any really good college football out there anymore. There's not really any good college football coverage. Yes, there is. It's just not in the places you used to look. Tell them, look here. Oh, by the way, it's free. Oh, by the way, we do it multiple times per week. Oh, by the way, there's never any politics. There's never any other sport woven in. It's just college football. You tell them to come here and you tell them subscribe right after you do the same thing. And we'll be good. And that's all I need from you. Thank you, guys. For Director Colin, for Producer Jesse, for Bradley the Associate, I'm Josh Pate. Take care. Have a great rest of your day. And God bless. shining light Sarajevo and they needed to kill that light from producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2 U2 they represent a personification of our resistance the Hollywood reporter hails kiss the future moving and inspirational kiss the future viva Sarajevo kiss the future new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus go to Paramount Plus to try it free terms apply